Welcome to the After Talk at Universe University. Today, we welcome a very special guest to our program, Michael Tremel. He's a postdoctoral fellow from Yale University with a PhD in astronomy, and he's written several publications on subjects ranging from supermassive black holes to galaxy evolution. Welcome to the program. Happy to have you on. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask, you know, we, we actually had a show at the uh, Fisk Planetarium at the University of Colorado at Boulder on uh, black holes that was really popular. And we had a lot of people uh, who, who came to see that. And I think I uh, wanted to just ask, why do you think that uh, regular ordinary people who are not astronomers or astrophysicists are just kind of fascinated and captivated by the idea of black holes? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So, well, I think black holes are, are interesting in general because they're, they're very exotic objects, right? So even without knowing the details of, you know, general relativity or, you know, quantum gravity or things like that, you can appreciate this, idea that there's this, you know, massive object all, you know, condensed into a single point so that light can't escape their gravitational pull. I mean, you don't have to understand the physics behind things in detail to understand that that's a pretty, pretty interesting and, and weird thing. Uh, and that's cool because, you know, when there's something that's that obviously mysterious, it, it's, I think, clear to people that, oh, we want to understand that. You know, not be, not for any in particular practical reason, but just because these things exist and we don't understand them very much at all. So uh, it's it's one of those cases where I think you can really uh, really explain the fact that this type of science can be cool for its own sake and sort of understanding things for for the sake of understanding something we don't really know much about at all. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that's a it's a fascinating answer because it says that uh, I think there's enough about black holes that can be understand understood in layman's terms that it kind of draws people in, gets people interested and fascinated by the subject. But uh, paradoxically, there's a lot that seems to be in contradiction to what we think of in our own reality as being. Yeah logical definitely definitely. for lack of a better word there is a lot of misinformation too about black holes which also makes it a little bit more exciting too uh so it's important so that ties in that ties into the other question that i was going to ask is my next question is uh what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about black holes i think the film interstellar sort of brought black holes more into the mainstream of you know the public consciousness, but it's something that people people are aware of black holes because you know when I presented at the planetarium, people would ask a lot of questions about black holes. Uh, but I, I would imagine there are some misconceptions that people have uh, that you you've encountered. Yeah, before. yeah. I think the most common thing stems from this idea that black holes are these extreme gravitational objects 
and there's, there's this idea around them that a black hole just sucks in everything around them, uh, no matter how far away you are. Uh, so they're always just attracting everything, and there's some some sort of you know super gravitational force associated with black holes. When really, gravity is the same for a black hole as it is for any massive object. Uh, the example I like to use is if the sun today was transformed instantaneously into a black hole with the same mass as the sun, then Earth would would not fall into it. it. The orbits of Earth and all the planets would remain unchanged. The only thing that would change is we no longer have a, a bright sun in the sky. We have a black hole that that's not emitting any light at all. Um, but But gravity for black holes only becomes really interesting when you become really close to the black hole, right? Black holes are interesting for thinking about gravity because they, you know, you, you cram all this mass into a singularity so that you can, you can experience very extreme gravitational fields if you get very close, but far away from a black hole, gravity works the same way as anything else. And so it's not some magnetic object that's just sucking in everything in the universe towards it. Uh, it's, um, you know, for example, uh, on on Earth here, we we don't care gravitationally about the fact that there is a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. That, in, in terms of mass, that black hole is insignificant. It's not affecting our orbit within the galaxy. It's not affecting uh, most of the stars in the galaxy. It's just uh, a single object, um, even if it's so big. So gravity gravity is not so special with black holes that it it becomes some crazy catastrophic thing um like people think it is so you you say when you get really close to a black hole and i i want to kind of understand how close is is really close and you know within the context of our solar system we've got uh the the inner planets mercury venus earth mars uh using that as a scale, you know, if, if our sun were not our sun and it were a black hole, what would you say would be would be close? Would it, would it be would Mercury be close enough to get sucked in, or would you have to be even closer than uh, that? Yes, that's a good question. So you can you can think of it this way: if if the mass of the sun remained unchanged and turned to a black hole right now, Mercury isn't falling into the sun; it's on an orbit going around the sun. So gravity that Mercury right. feels creating an orbit would be the same. So Mercury would still be fine, uh, even if the sun turned into a black hole. Um, now, uh, the way to, to think about gravity, right? So, um, you know, just Newton's laws of, of gravity says that the force of gravity gets stronger as you get closer to the object, right? So for a black hole, the special thing about a black hole is because you have the same mass as like a star or even billions of stars in the case of a supermassive black hole, but it's all crammed in the singularity, you can get arbitrarily close to all of that mass. And so you, if you get close enough, that, that force of gravity can get arbitrarily strong. And the, the event horizon of a black hole that makes it black uh, is that point where you know, the, the gravity is so strong at that distance that even light can't escape. So really, right around that right around the event horizon of a black hole is where gravity, where, where physics starts to get a little bit crazy. Um, so for, for a black hole, the mass of us, uh, of our sun, the event horizon is something like that. The, the size, the radius of a city, 
And so you can think of that black hole as quite small, actually. The, the, the event horizon is something like, you know, tens of kilometers in size, depending on the mass. Um, and so you have to get quite close to, to start feeling the, the weird relativistic effects that, that such strong gravity has. Um, but like I said, as long as you're far enough away, then it just feels like any other massive object, except it's dark. Okay. So um, in trying to define what a black hole actually is to you know people who don't have a, a strong grasp of astrophysics or astronomy, is it fair to say that it's a collapsed star that is just very dense? Is that a, a good basic definition um, of it? Yes. If we're talking about uh, most black holes, if we ignore the supermassive ones at the centers of galaxies, uh, if we just look at the ones that are one, you know, around the galaxy, the the black holes that are roughly the same size as a as a star in mass, then yes, those are all come from the collapsed cores of massive stars. Uh, so as a as a star sort of exhausts its fuel in the in its in its center, its core will will collapse, and if it's massive enough, will collapse arbitrarily and form a singularity. So uh, that that Singularity then is the black holes that we see, uh, well, sort of see <laughs> today. Um, with supermassive black holes, the ones in the centers of galaxies that are that are much more extreme in mass, that are millions or billions of right. masses times of you know millions or billions of times the mass of the sun. That's a bit more complicated. Depends on your favorite theory. Usually, they do involve the collapsed cores of a star, just a very special star. Um, but we really aren't sure uh, where those black holes come from. Um, Is it possible that it was just a particularly large star that collapsed at a long time ago? Yes, yeah. So uh, um, a lot of the the leading theories about where these black holes originated involve uh, just a, a very massive star that somehow is able to form and then collapse into a very massive black hole that then is able to grow further uh, and, and become even more massive through other means by, by, by eating up gas around it. Um, but yes, most of the theories do involve stars, but I, I can't speak in, in, <laughs> with certainty because we, these are right now purely theories. We, we, we don't have a, an exact answer for, for where the supermassive black holes came from. There's still active research. Um, okay. Okay. So, um, my my producer is is asking me about the just the idea of a collapsed mm -hmm. star. So, a star w would have collapsed for I mean, for lack of a better word, uh, when its its sort of nuclear fuel has completely run out. Is that correct? Yeah. So you can think of it like this: uh, for a star you have this constant battle between gravity that wants to, to, to collapse everything into itself and nuclear fusion at the center, which is producing energy that's, uh, that creates a pressure outward to, to sort of hold up all that mass against the gravitational. Right. So a normal star has an equilibrium that's reached. Um, but as the star evolves and the nuclear processes that are creating that pressure change, it gets to the point where 
nuclear material isn't available anymore to, to actually create energy. And when that happens, then gravity wins. Um, now, that's, that's not quite the end of the story. Um, depending on how massive you are, you might not form a black hole. So once you start collapsing because you're, you no longer have nuclear energy supporting you, there's actually quantum mechanical forces that could come into play. Uh, so for example, our star, the sun, when it evolves, it will, is not massive enough actually to form a black hole. It will form a white dwarf, which is held up by, by quantum mechanical forces on electrons, uh, that are, that are, uh, holding everything up. Um, and then more massive stars, uh, will collapse a bit further. They, they're, they're more massive. They can overcome this, this pressure involving electrons and quantum mechanics. And, but then they get held up by, by, uh, different nuclear forces, uh, on neutrons. So they form a neutron star, which is held up by, by slightly different quantum mechanical forces. Um, but then if you're, you're so massive that even, even those very strong, forces that that are acting at the 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 atomic level are are no longer strong enough to support you against collapse then you form a black hole um where where things just collapse indefinitely so that might be another misconception that some people have is that uh inevitably every star's death will lead it to becoming a black hole which is what you're telling me that that's not at all the case yes definitely uh that that is probably a misconception that people have. Uh, yeah, in fact, most stars will not form a black hole. Black holes only come from the the very most massive stars, which are also the rarest stars in the universe. Um, so the majority of stars, you pick out a random star in the Milky Way. Chances are, actually, chances are that star will will kind of survive. Almost, you know, not not actually forever, but for trillions of years, the, the most common stars are actually the smallest stars that are so small, they're burning their fuel so slowly that they'll survive very, very long time. Uh, more common, uh, slightly less common, but still more common than black holes would be stars like like our sun, which which will turn into to white dwarfs, um, and then the rare will turn into right. stars or black holes. And so if, if I'm understanding sort of the physics uh, correctly, that the, the fabric of space and time itself is sort of dented by, some, by a very massive star. And I, I say dented, I, I think I've, I've used the analogy before that it's a little bit like a bowling ball sitting on a trampoline where it kind of pushes everything down um, a little bit. And, when, and with a black hole, it's more like a it's more like a hole or, or a very big uh, indentation in the fabric of space and time itself. Is that fair yeah, to say? I, lo- I really love the, the analogy thinking of like the rubber sheet, right? Like a bowling ball on some sheets as a, you know, a big star. Well, yeah, a black hole would be like, you take that same, that same weight of a bowling ball, but you condense it to an even small, like a very small thing. You can imagine if you make, if you have a bowling ball versus something really tiny, that's the same mass. You put that tiny thing on the sheet. It's going to, you know, create this really deep, uh, skinny indentation, right? Um, because it's, it's like a like a marble, like a marble that's the the same exactly, weight as exactly, a exactly. Um, and so that's where things get extreme, right? And you can even you know test for yourself that that marble versus the bowling ball, far enough away from the marble, 
it, you know, the, the sheet actually looks very similar to the bowling ball case. The difference is because the bowl, the marble is so much smaller, you're able to get this really, really deep indentation. So space gets really, really stretched when you're really close. And that's, that's that regime I was talking about before where gravity gets so strong that you get a lot of, uh, relativistic effects. So that's where general relativity, Einstein's theories become really important, uh, in understanding the force of gravity when you get those extreme cases uh, of gravity that, that are close to a black hole. So is, was there a particular field of mathematics that really helped to unlock our understanding of uh, black holes? I, you know, you mentioned general re relativity of obviously that's the, kind of the crux of uh, modern physics and theoretical physics. Right. Uh, so, so Einstein's theories uh, take a lot from uh, tensor calculus. Uh, so, yeah, using matrices and and uh, complicated algebra to 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 solve things. Um, but in a more theoretical sense, okay. uh, when I was taking general relativity, uh, I it the I enjoy the aspects of it the most that, that dealt with, so, right, the, the core concept of relativity, of general relativity in particular, is that the force of gravity is, can be really understood as a warping of space-time. And so, really, the study of, of, of gravity in that case becomes a study of geometry. So, something called differential geometry in mathematics is, is borrowed from a lot when describing the the shape of space time, which then tells you you know the types of orbits you can have, and tells you, you know, how things will move uh, within within some space time that has some geometry due to some uh, gravitation, uh, some some massive body or or bodies uh, in the in the area. So that's very interesting to me. I was I was looking listening to a podcast with physicist uh, Brian Cox the other day. Where, if I'm not mistaken, I think he said that uh, space-time, as as we perceive it right now, is largely flat. Is that correct? Uh, it it depends on what you mean. Um, cosmologically speaking, when you're talking about you know really large distances and and what is the average yeah. shape of space-time, yes, it is nearly flat. Um, when you're when you're talking like yeah, is the, 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 the shape, the geometry of the entire universe is nearly flat. Um, but because of that, Of course, of course, if there was a massive star, if there's a massive star, then that's distorting and warping and, and smushing everything. Exactly. Uh, a way of thinking of relativity is if everything was truly flat, then everything would be moving either staying still or moving with a constant direction, right? So the fact that we're in an orbit right now around the sun proves to you that actually our local space-time, very local, as in like, if we if we were able to look at the geometry of space-time right at Earth, it, it's certainly not flat. It's being distorted by, well, the Earth itself, but also the gravitational field of the, of the sun, of all the planets. Uh, so on small scales, the space-time is actually quite, quite more rough, uh, right, because of all the gravitational interactions that are taking place. But if you average over all of that and look at, at large distances, then indeed, cosmologically speaking, 
you know, talking about the shape of the universe, space-time is flat. So uh, we've been reading a little bit about uh, Stephen Hawking, and he's he's very much a, a character like Neil deGrasse Tyson, where even if you're not an astronomer or a physicist, even if you're not in that community, uh, this is something of a, a celebrity that people look up to as being, you know, one of the brilliant minds of our time. But uh, as I understand it, uh, Stephen Hawking uh, believed certain things about black holes for a long, long period of his life. And it was only uh, within the last few years before his death that he sort of reversed his position and said, no, I, th I think I was wrong about a lot of the things I said about black holes. I think maybe they're, they're different than I uh, believe them to be. And as I understand it, it had, to, it had a lot to do with matter that gets sucked into a black hole and whether or not that information is retrievable yeah. or not. Uh, <laughs> this is getting yeah beyond a bit my area of expertise, but yeah, we, Stephen Hawking dealt a lot with the, the, the quantum mechanical uh, implications of, uh, of black holes and that those extreme extreme gravitational environments uh hawking radiation itself is a is a quantum mechanical effect um and yeah i i can't speak much to the details of uh of that work but yeah i've heard similar things that this idea of whether or not information is is actually destroyed by a black hole or whether it, it remains intact in some way uh yeah, apparently that's that's either less understood uh, than than Hawking thought, or or maybe even that he is opposite of what he thought. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you do you have do you have an opinion on on this idea of you know once something gets sucked into a black hole of whether you know that that information can ever be retrieved in any form later on, or whether it's it's just kind of gone because that's such a <laughs> that's such a terrible way to go getting sucked into a black hole uh, i mean i i don't have much of an opinion simply because uh it's not something that that impacts the the areas of research that i follow most closely um what areas of research do you follow most closely uh, when it so, comes to so, black holes so i care about the astrophysical imp uh, implications of black holes so uh understanding how they form uh, in, in particular, supermassive black holes, how they how they form, where they come from, how they grow so big. Um, so the things I care about are more like, you know, how does gas from a galaxy get down to a black hole at the center so that it can grow? Uh, and how does that growth, as it releases energy, as it grows, how does that affect the galaxy? Uh, and so how do they go through this sort of coeval uh evolution the galaxy and their supermassive black hole at the center um but because i i care more about the larger scale um physics involved uh i'm not i'm not so much um an expert on the on the quantum mechanical <laughs> effects of of black holes uh another way i think about it is i, I care about sure. their evolution over over uh millions of years or billions of years not so much uh <laughs> seconds or years uh, as is important for for you know smaller scale quantum mechanical effects. Uh, but yeah. Is, is there like a certain lifetime of a black hole? I mean, we're talking, we're talking about millions or, or billions of years, you know, how, how long does an average black hole last once a black hole is formed? Is it kind of 
there for for all eternity or does it uh go away after a certain period of time yeah so that's a good question so that actually gets back to stephen hawking so so hawking radiation uh is actually this this quantum mechanical process that's taking place basically at the at the event horizon of a black hole is the result of this process is basically the the mass of the black hole decreases over time black holes evaporate over time um now it ends up that the 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 rate of this evaporation is such that a very massive black hole uh will will uh take a much longer time to have any appreciable change in its mass happen so like a, even a, a a black hole the, the mass of a sun will take you know trillions of years to you know to actually begin to decrease in mass by an amount that you can measure uh astrophysically speaking um but hawking radiation itself is really interesting especially when you're talking about uh singularities on much smaller scales so i don't know if if you recall but back in the day when people were thinking about these large particle accelerators like cern uh and for a while the ssc in the us people were concerned about this energy creating singularities which are essentially little black holes um, and again, this is where that misconception comes in, where if you have a black hole, you think it sucks up everything around it um, automatically. It ends up, if you have a small, very tiny black hole, like the mass of a proton or something, um, the small little singularity that it is able to exist, uh, due to Hawking radiation, that little black hole is going to poof out of existence very quickly. Um, while black holes that we care about in astrophysics that are either the mass of a star or the mass of a billion stars, uh, will take trillions of years uh, to change. And so we don't really think about this evaporation too much when it comes to, to astrophysics, at least, um, if that makes sense. So, yeah, no, that, I think that does make sense. For, uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar, Hawking radiation that's uh how is that different from what we think of as regular radiation the kind of radiation we we would encounter at a nuclear right. power plant uh, yeah so hawking radiation is is quite complicated in detail but the, the the gist of it is is that um in quantum mechanics you have on very small scales if you were to look at the universe on, on very very tiny scales you'll have what's known as virtual particles you'll have uh just through random quantum fluctuations, you'll have uh, particles pop in and out of existence. Um, you'll have like a proton, like for example, a, a an electron and an anti-electron, a, a positron. Right. So you'll you'll have both of those come into existence and pop out of existence. So they 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 appear and then they annihilate each other, and sort of that that happens all the time uh, on various tiny scales in the universe, and such that we don't really see the effects on large scales. It all sort of averages out. Um, on on larger scales, but if you're near a black hole, what can sometimes happen is you have this these these particles come into existence, and it ends up that one of them falls into the black hole and the other one doesn't. And if you go through the math and the quantum mechanics of, of all of this stuff and the general relativity, uh, the the effect of this, the fact that you have these particles that sort of only kind of exist. One of them falls into the black hole, the other one doesn't. In order to balance things out, uh, you get this this weird this this radiation effect, this this energy 
at the event horizon gets gets radiated due to the these these particles coming into existence uh and uh part of you know their their partners getting eaten by the black hole um and to to keep to keep physics uh right to keep everything uh balanced right because you're sort of messing up this this these really tiny processes that are supposed to to average out to nothing but you're sort of messing up that balance the the result is that this this radiation is sapping away the mass these particles are able to actually take away the mass of the black hole uh as they as they they escape the at the event horizon um but this is you might tell this is to the limit of what my understanding is i had to derive these equations you know maybe five years ago or whatever in my gr class but uh yeah so it's it's this weird quantum mechanic effect occurring at the event horizon um well, it's wonderful to speak to you, and it's interesting that even when talking about something that's as specific and as specialized as black holes, there are uh, different sort of fields of expertise and different people who are studying different aspects of these very strange uh, things that exist in our yeah, universe. Yeah. <laughs> You'll find that a lot in uh, in science. There's there's always people that have very specific uh, interests. <laughs> So um, you're with Yale, that's correct? Yeah, currently I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Yale. So um, is there anything that Yale is doing, you know, very specifically in regards to black holes and just our, our understanding of the universe in general that, that make it a, a university that's uh, different or unique compared to other universities around the country or around the world? That's a good question. Uh, so... Yeah, so some of the people that I work with, in particular, uh, Priya Natarajan uh, is a professor at Yale. She does a lot of work on on black holes, and uh, in particular, interested in their their very earliest phases of growth. Uh, so when you have these black holes that are newly formed in the early universe, understanding sort of in a theoretical sense how are they growing, and how might we be able to detect this these very early phases of growth uh with future telescopes like the james webb space telescope which is set to launch hopefully in the near future um so there's a lot of work like that like with the the earliest phases of black hole growth um and then on the observational side uh meg urry is another professor who leads a group at yale who uh studies uh AGN that are growing that are observable as active galactic nuclei. So when these supermassive black holes in galaxies are uh, growing by eating nearby gas in the galaxy, they can get very bright, and we can see them as bright nuclei in in galaxies. And we can detect them actually because they can be very bright. So we can detect them quite far away uh, in the early universe as well. And so she she works to try to understand well how can we better detect these these growing black holes you know black holes that are smaller farther away from us than we than we could before and also how can we we use these observations to better understand sort of the the general evolution of supermassive black holes over time uh, and then there's me who does simulations of galaxies and their black holes to understand from the theoretical perspective how do the galaxies regulate the growth of black holes and how do black holes regulate the evolution of galaxies uh, in the sort of uh, 
symbiotic relationship that that they have with their host galaxies. Um, and again, along with all of us are, are a bunch of other you know graduate students um, that are that are working to to you know also help understand things. Um, uh, right. So there's, there's actually uh, there's also another postdoc, Vivian Baldessari, who's doing some great work uh, looking at trying to see the smallest supermassive black holes in in the smallest galaxies. So there's this sort of growing field where normally we see black holes in massive galaxies that are growing very fast. But there's there's more and more interest in, in black holes at the centers of small galaxies, dwarf galaxies, that are very tiny and growing very slowly. But if we can see them, that can help us a lot in understanding their origins. Um, so I guess in, in, in theory, there's lots of supermassive black hole science going on, in particular related to where do they come from and, and where are they going? that makes sense yeah absolutely uh so i i had uh one other question just for uh, people who are laymen trying to understand general relativity and as i said before that's a very fundamental part of our understanding of the universe and our, our understanding of theoretical physics there's a lot that uh albert einstein got right there's a lot that he revealed to us about our understanding and misunderstanding uh, in the past uh, about the universe. Uh, but talking to you now in the year 2019, what what do you think people should know that he might have gotten wrong or that he might have been mistaken about or that he might be surprised by if he were here today, uh, seeing all the breakthroughs that theoretical physics is uh, plummeting Oof, towards today. That's a really question. Um, hmm. So I'm I'm not privy to the to the most recent sort of uh, theories that pertain directly to general relativity. Though I know there's lots of efforts being done to to simulate, uh, you know, gas and 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 stars nearby black holes and with all the, the general relativistic effects. Um, I think, oh, what would Einstein be surprised about? Um, I think he would be surprised that we detected gravitational waves. I think in his mind, gravitational waves, even though he predicted them, uh, were something that you could he never hoped to, to see ever, let alone in his lifetime, but, but in, in anyone's lifetime. Uh, so the fact that you know a hundred years after after rel general relativity, we we detected gravitational waves and we're working to detect more uh, would be something I think he's been very surprised at. No, that that's an excellent answer. And and for our, some of our guests listening, how would you explain gravitational waves? Uh, no, I that's I, I realize that's a tricky thing. No, no, no. Uh, so we can we can think again like uh, like that sheet, right? Where we think of the the space time as like a sheet and massive objects as being you know a bowling ball or whatever on that sheet. Um, is it? It's sort of like ripples on yeah, a pond, so perhaps. It, in a similar sense that that the the presence of a massive body can warp space time. If you had massive bodies moving around on that sheet. Uh, 
it would, yeah, send ripples in a pool similar to if you were, you know, sitting in a pool and you like moved your arms around, right? Uh, that movement of your arms is not only having a local effect, but it's it's perturbing things and sending these these ripples projecting outward, uh, you know, or just dropping something in the in a pool in a pond will will send out these ripples. Um, so, yeah, when you have massive bodies that are moving around, uh, you get space time itself. The the warping of space time is changing, and as that's changing, this this change is propagating outward in the form of these gravitational waves. Um, yeah, so you can think of it like space time is a median medium, uh, just like water is a medium of waves, right? So these 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 ripples exist within space time and travel through it. Um, as a result of massive bodies moving around, usually in the form of either black holes or neutron stars uh, orbiting one another and coming to a, a merger. Um, yeah, hopefully that's clear. So would you say that there's a, a one person who could be credited with sort of discovering or at least theorizing or predicting uh, black holes? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd have to brush up on my history to actually make sure I, I answer this correctly. Because I think the idea of a black hole has been theorized for quite some time. Um, I'm pretty sure Einstein thought they could exist, but I think it might have even predated him, this idea of uh, just the, the idea of like a collapsed core of a star uh, collapsing into something that was infinitely small. People didn't necessarily understand, you know, what it what that would mean in terms of you know general relativistically speaking uh the fact that you wouldn't be able to see any light from the surface or anything like that what a singularity really means uh, i think was pretty mysterious until well it's still mysterious because uh well general relativity kind of breaks down when there's a singularity involved um but i i don't know if any one person specifically comes to mind uh, but it has been something that that's been theorized for a long time, long before they were observed. Um, so it wasn't super surprising just to to see them in the form of uh, well, stellar mass black holes. Um, supermassive black holes, I think, were more surprising uh, to people. Um, that's a more recent phenomenon in terms terms of our understanding of the universe. Supermassive black holes. Would you say that's yeah, correct? definitely. Um, we saw their electromagnetic effects. So uh, as I mentioned, the, the active galactic nuclei, these bright nuclei of galaxies that are, that are the result of a growing supermassive black hole. As the black hole accretes mass, uh, as it feeds on nearby gas, that gas gets very hot and emits a lot of light. Uh, so it gets very, very bright. Um, and for a long time, from like the 70s onward, actually, I think the, the first... The first such thing was discovered in the '60s, if I'm not mistaken. They they called them quasi-stellar objects because they because they would outshine the entire galaxy, so they looked just like points of light that had a spectrum very similar to a star in lots of ways. Um, and people didn't know what they were for a really long time. And even as they learned more, right, there was a lot of controversy about you know, oh, we have these galaxies, and we can now see a galaxy that has an active nuclei in the center. What is actually causing this bright light? Um, there was lots of different, you know, people arguing back and forth throughout, I think, the, the 70s and 80s in particular about is this caused by, 
you know, a lot of star formation happening? Is this caused by, you know, whatever exotic processes? Um, and one of the theories was, you know, a growing supermassive black hole. Uh, and of course, eventually the black hole theory won out. Uh, we understand that a lot more now, in part because of people observing our own galactic center and coming up with a very uh, pretty robust uh, measurement of, you know, oh, there is actually a supermassive black hole here. They exist. Uh, uh, but also just better analysis of the spectrum coming from this light sort of points to an accretion disk around a black hole is the only really viable answer. Um, but that was really, you know, in the, the 90s uh, is really when that, I think, began to pick up steam as a really, you know, the, the, the main theory behind what powers those active galactic nuclei. Um, so yeah, it is quite quite a recent idea, and now we're at the point of realizing that black holes, these supermassive black holes, are actually really important to how we understand galaxies in the first place. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. You talk about an accretion disk. An accretion disk is basically uh, an enormous amount of material fairly close to uh, a black hole. Is yeah, that so you can think of it like. Um, if you ever go to to one of those one of those places where you have that that funnel and you can throw the pennies down it and you can you know you you roll the pennies down the funnel and they sort of roll around many many times and as they they fall down the funnel yeah. they get faster and faster and they fall in uh, that's essentially what gas is doing around a black hole right gas doesn't just fall into a black hole all gas has even a small amount of rotation. And so when that gas is, is falling down the, the, the gravity well of a black hole, it, it does the same thing as, as you know, your pennies going through a funnel. Uh, they uh, form a disk uh, and the, the gas rotates around. And as the gas falls further and further down that potential well, down that, that gravitational well, it gets faster and faster. And another way of thinking of gas moving fast is gas that's very hot. And so that gas, as it falls onto the black hole, gets really, really hot, and hot things emit a lot of light. And so this accretion disk uh, emits a lot of very bright light due to all this very hot gas that's being heated up by really just the gravitational forces of the black hole and the friction of all the other gas around it. Um, so bright that it can even outshine an entire galaxy. At the planetarium, I, I recall a number of people asking about, could we see, could you show us a photograph of a black hole? And I remember, you know, one of the simpler answers, especially when talking to elementary school children, is we can see sort of the effects of a black hole, but actual actually taking a photograph of a black hole, that's a little bit trickier. Is is that more or less yeah, correct? Yeah, so it kind of depends on what you mean. Uh, if if by photograph you mean capturing light that's emitted from a black hole from a singularity itself or reflected against it, then certainly taking a photograph is, is physically impossible, right? At least not in the sense that we're used to, right? Well, black holes, black holes suck yeah, exactly. in light, right? You can never do like we do, which is, oh, light is reflecting off of this object and I'm capturing that light so I can you know, see it. Um, so that's never going to happen. But indeed, you know, uh, seeing the effects, either the effects that it has on on light itself, like looking at, at light that's being 
distorted by the gravitational force of the black hole um, would be would be one thing that that has yet to happen quite yet. Uh, there have been some actually there has been I think one one or two examples potentially uh, of of people being able to see light that's been affected by a black hole, a supermassive black hole in such a way. Um, but yeah, the the other possibility is uh, the the Event Horizon Telescope. They're actually looking directly at Sagittarius A star, the the supermassive black hole in the center of our galaxy, and they're trying to see uh, essentially the shadow of that black hole. Um, so the the absence of light caused by by that black hole, and then and again the 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 effect that the black hole has on the surrounding light around it. Um, so that would be the closest I think you can get to actually a direct image of a black hole. You're, you're essentially imaging the, the light or the absence of light, depending on how you, you, know, you actually are, are thinking about it, due to the presence of a black hole. Um, and that's actually been really exciting. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't remember if they've had any publications quite yet, but the Event Horizon Telescope is working towards you know, doing this, and they're... they're they're taking observations as we speak now, and I think they're getting to the, the point of being done. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they've been able to do uh, with with that with that mission. And that's that's really a, a general relativistic experiment, trying to understand, you know, Einstein's theories in a very you know extreme environment, right? Because that's what a black hole is—a very extreme gravitational environment that provides the the most interesting ways to test Einstein's theories. Yeah, you know, um, physicist, I believe he's physicist Brian Greene uh, wrote The Elegant Universe. And I know he believes in string theory, which is sort of, it's considered by some physicists to be a little bit fringe, a little bit strange. But I always liked his analogy in talking about, you know, the singularity that the Big Bang, I, I suppose we think the Big Bang emerged from, and saying that it's it's a little bit like running the the cosmic movie, if, if it were a movie being run through a projector of rewinding it and going back, back further in time. And it's almost like the projector seems to jam when we get far enough back. Cause we're talking about something that's incredibly dense, um, incredibly massive, incredibly small. And so you're uh, required to use both general relativity and quant quantum mechanics uh, together, yeah. I don't know if that's so I, you're, you're hitting on the problem of black holes in the first place, right? So this is you know people that are studying general relativity and, and this idea of quantum gravity. They they care about this a lot uh, because the the fact is that gravity and quantum mechanics don't or quantum mechanics and, and general relativity don't really mesh well. So. Supermassive or black holes in general are these, you know, infinitely small, massive things that force you to think of both. <laughs> and we don't have a theory yet that that combines uh, quantum mechanics and general relativity. Um, There's sort of these contradictory sets of uh, sets of rules that work very well individually, but trying to put them together and connect them together requires some sort of unification theory that exactly. we haven't come I up with there's, yet. Exactly. I think there's, you know, the, there's hope that maybe things like the, the uh, LHC at CERN uh, will be able to actually 
produce a particle for gravity. Okay, so that's essentially the key, right? To, to combine what we understand about quantum field theory with gravity, we need to understand the, the thing, the particle that's going to carry that force, right? So for electromagnetism, that's the photon. Uh, for, you know, other forces, you have gluons and, and so on and so forth to, to, to do the nuclear forces. Uh, so we understand how all of those things work in, in the quantum mechanical sense because we understand, you know, the, the particles that are involved in, in the force that, that things feel. Uh, but for gravity, we don't have that yet. And there's this idea of the graviton, which is the, the theorized force particle for gravity. Um, and so if you can actually detect that, that would, that would essentially do a lot uh, to, to further the, the mesh between gravity and quantum mechanics that we're missing, uh, uh, if that makes sense. So we, we still haven't observed a force carrier yet for, for gravity. Um, and that's, that's, I think, a big, a big stepping stone that needs to be done. Um, but I think the theories are out there that, that can, can do it. Um, but again, the, the thing is, is that uh, at least in astrophysics, we don't actually care that much about about what goes on beyond the event horizon because it doesn't affect uh, it doesn't affect us astrophysically speaking, right? We can't observe it, and it, it can't have any sort of effect on the universe anymore. Um, but we still want to understand it. You know, there's still plenty of scientists that, and I think it's a good thing that want to understand these things in a very, you know, full full level. Like, what is beyond the event horizon? What does a black hole, you know? "Quote unquote," look like uh, on small scales, and to do that, you really need uh, quantum theory of gravity. So that's kind of a long answer, <laughs> but no, I, I certainly appreciate uh, the detailed answers that you've given us today. And I would say I have one last question. It's a little bit silly, but I think a lot of people uh, are fascinated by that that question that you. Uh, sort of hinted at or alluded to uh, a moment ago is what happens inside a black hole or what would happen if you got sucked into a black hole or, and, and of course the answer that I've gotten uh, very often is it probably wouldn't go very well for you. If you were sucked into a black hole, you're probably not going to come out in some alternate dimension. You're probably just not going to survive the journey. But I, I would imagine that that's something that, a, that a lot of people wonder about and it's kind of, thought-provoking for a lot of people who don't fully understand black holes is what would happen if you got sucked inside? And obviously the answer is we don't really know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, th really the answer depends a lot on the mass of the black hole. So you mentioned the movie Interstellar before. Uh, so one interesting aspect of that movie is that when the character actually does cross the event horizon of the black hole. Um, and the fact that he does that and survives that is actually important uh, because it doesn't always happen. So if, if you were to cross the event horizon of a smaller black hole, it actually is more dangerous for you. So if you were to try to cross the event horizon of a black hole that's like a, the size of a star, um, you would actually feel such strong differential gravity. So if you're, if you're falling into the black hole uh, feet first, let's say, uh, the gravitational force on your feet would be so different than the gravitational force on your head that you'd be ripped apart. Uh, and that's just because uh, 
the event horizon of a of a smaller black hole is actually smaller. And so the what's called tidal forces, this differential gravity, the the fact that you feel different gravity on one side of your body than the other side becomes really important. And so you end up getting I, I had a friend who used to I had a friend who used to talk about spaghettification yeah, exactly. when he presented That's this show at, at the planetarium. Uh, right which- there. It, it would draw it would draw laughs from the audience because uh, they they thought that he had had made that word up because it sound sounded so ridiculous. But that that's an actual a word in um, at astrophysics or theoretical physics, right? The idea of of uh, or the noodle effect or spaghettification of just being stretched out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, if you if you do you know physics calculations about how mass falls onto a black hole. Uh, you you sort of think about that in that in that sense you know you have to you know take that into account um in fact there's uh there's this thing called uh tidal disruption so if you have a star that happens to pass by a supermassive black hole for example the star will get ripped apart because of these forces uh and we might actually be able to detect that uh so people actually think about these uh, you know these things in, in a serious sense not so much to think about people being spaghettified, but you know, more so thinking about what 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 effects does this sort of general sense of things getting ripped apart nearby a black hole? What could that have that could help us better understand black holes if we're able to observe it uh, in real life? So it is a serious thing, even though yeah, we usually don't think about humans being ripped apart. To be fair, well, um, that's really all I have in, in the way of questions. But we really appreciate you coming on the program, and we would uh, we would love to have you again if we address any subjects in the way of black holes or theoretical physics yeah, in the great, future. Uh, it was great being here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, at the very least, you'll gain a few more Twitter followers from <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, this this appearance on our yeah, program. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thank you again, and uh, we hope to have you on the program again someday. <laughs>